You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. The show you're about to listen to is part of the Hopped Up Network's growing family of craft beer podcasts in the U.S. and Canada. I think it's great. Find this show and others like it at hoppedupnetwork.com, the spot for informative and entertaining craft beer podcasts. I love it. I love you guys. You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. This is Neil Fisher from Wellbrook Brewing Company, and you're listening to the Pints and Provisions podcast. You're listening to the Pints and Provisions podcast with Evan, Mark, Ryan, and Dan. You're listening to the Pints and Provisions podcast with Evan, Mark, and Dan. Oh, I forgot to. I can't remember. Hey, we've used that as a podcast studio before. Yeah. Actually, it sounds pretty good. I don't know what it is, but acoustics are kind of good down here. Yeah, I guess easy for this. We uh, talked to Live Oak last week. Um, they're um, kind of their marketing guy, Ryan. I think his name is Mike. Okay. Yeah. Love their beers. Ryan and yeah. I have been down to Austin. Mike O'Connor, I just shipped him some lagers today. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are great. We, we're big fans of uh, the pep especially, but... They don't do anything. They don't do anything bad. No, so. not at all. All right, welcome, Pints and Provisions podcast. Evan here. Ryan is uh, definitely zoomed in. Mark is another story. We're working on him. So, cheers. We are excited to be joined by Neil Fisher from Weldworks Brewing. I really appreciate his time and ability to join us because Ryan and I and Mark included are big fans. So, welcome, Neil. Thanks for having me. I bet a lot of our listeners probably have a pretty good idea of what uh, Weldworks beers are, who um, you guys are, what you make, what you're kind of known for. A little bit of basic info, though, I think that we all kind of know about is that you guys kind of start, you started as a home brewer. Right. And then you met your uh, co-owner, Colin. And from there, a little homebrew competition, you did pretty well. And then Weldworks got started kind of back in the mid 2000 and uh like 2014 2015 is that correct yep yep we opened in uh, february 15 just 11 months after kind of starting our business plan so and from there obviously things like you know juicy bits media noche have become pretty popular staples for you guys but it was uh it was uh something that having weldworks beer you kind of know what you're having you kind of know the quality of stuff so Tell us a little bit, did I miss anything at least on the introduction, of course, in the brewery? You guys are located in Greeley. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's kind of the, the story. Colin and I met uh, just in the garage with some friends. Um, it wasn't a formal homebrew club, but just kind of informal group of guys getting together. And that was exactly what happened. Uh, you know, we had talked about opening a brewery. I think everybody that homebrews always talks about it, thinks about it, dreams about it. Um, mm. And I knew that it was a lot more than just brewing successful beer in the garage, but that was probably the first step. And it's one thing for people to like your beer, especially when they drink it for free. Um, and then it's another to, to be able to drink it, find a, an outlet for it. And, have it. So, so, hey. and as Can't luck say. would have it. <laughs> Can't say it very long, but I wanted to say hi. <laughs> Jump on in. All What's right, up, guys? A speaker. <laughs> Yeah, Daniel, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Are you on? You're on. You're recording already, aren't you? 
Absolutely, but that's okay. Man, I thought you were waiting for Mark. I thought I'd be funny to jump in. My bad. No, you're, you're good. good. You're good. Uh, you got anything to say to Neil while we're recording? What's up, Neil? I don't hey. think we've ever met. Nope, I don't think so. But it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> sorry that I can't. Sorry that I can't stick around. I have a, a date with Joe Exotic tonight. <laughs> I'm going to see him in prison. Uh, <laughs> this would be a good time, uh, Daniel, since you only have a bit, little bit. Why don't we do our beers of the week, and then we'll transition through there. So uh, since you and um, the Tiger King are there, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk to us about your best beer of the week? Yeah, so I just had the one that I shared with you guys um, that I think you're drinking tonight, right, Evan? The annulment? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had that on uh, Friday. Really good. Really enjoyed it. Shared it with my neighbor, Phil, um, who isn't really into bourbon county beer, or bourbon barrel-aged beers, but um, he enjoyed it. So it's a good, good one to have by the grill, by the smoker. Yep. And uh, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, mine. Uh, so with with how a lot of breweries are doing uh, different um, online ordering and and different ways of doing proxy pickups and to go, uh, you know, uh, bottles to go, cans to go, different things. A lot of them have popped up, you know, recently with a lot of options. So uh, we have a friend down in uh, Southeast Florida. So uh, Jay Wakefield had a barrel aged stout release uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, so my friend texted me and said, Hey, if you want to try to get this, um, I'll go pick it up and uh, I'll ship them to you. So, um, so I got two bottles of El Oso Fantasma, Fantasma. It's a 14% uh, Willet bourbon barrel aged stout with, uh, coffee and uh, Tahitian vanilla. So, uh, me and my cousin drank that, uh, on Monday this week, actually. And it was, uh, just, I mean, the Jay Wakefield, really nice thickness mouthfeel on that one. And, uh, just a really nice of, uh, of the coffee and vanilla so it's pretty hard to beat um little little dark for beer on the uh, probably 65 degree uh spring day but uh it kind of hit the spot it was pretty good nice uh neil how about you anything stand out in the last week or so uh let's see yesterday i had outer ranges uh version of the altogether beer uh, which is really fantastic so outer ranges up in frisco um so good friends of ours they make some of the best ipa in colorado and uh so that was really fun to try. That's the first one I've tried of the all together. Ours is coming out next week. I think Cerebral's dropped uh, yesterday. So we got a bunch in Colorado kind of coming out in the next week or two. And then um, I'm sure there's, there's, it seems like there's six or 700 breweries involved now, which is awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I really liked it. I, uh, we were talking a little bit before about Cascade and um, I just don't have a lot of beers with Cascade. I know Sam <laughs> loves Cascade. So um, I, yeah, I thought the outer range version was awesome. I, uh, ours is tasting great too. It's uh, packaging, I think, early next week. So we'll have ours out next week sometime. But um, I was excited to try it. Love, love the cause. Love the the whole yeah. the whole structure. That's awesome. Publishing the recipe is great. I love how they can get everybody involved in that program. So uh, that was really good. The outer range guys were dropping off some beer for a shipment we're putting together. So they were kind enough to bring a case for us, and uh, one of those was in there. So we got to try it yesterday, which is awesome. Wonderful. Great. I'm not you going, I'm, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but because of the stay at home and the quarantine, my homebrew has kind of been what is hitting the spot all the time. And even though I did, we talked about, I did the altogether IPA. I did do a West coast double IPA just because I was ready to do it. I had plans. I had the ingredients. So, you know, 
a lot of bittering hops with the, I did Falconer's Flight at the beginning, but I also dry hopped, dry hopped with Falconer's Flight, Simcoe, and Mosaic. So it just kind of freely flows out of the tap usually around five o'clock every day. So um, kind of the thing I'm enjoying the most lately. Nice. Um, Do you have to wait 12 minutes till you get that going? To 12 minutes? It's not five yet. It's 12, it's 4.40. It's, it, it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eastern Standard Time it is. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you're up. Oh, yeah. Well, one question we were talking about kind of the, the intro, Neil. Um, so when you entered the homebrew beers in uh, 2014, a year before you guys opened, did you have the name Weldworks on that or was it just your first names or had you even thought about going to that or was it more the results of the competition kind of led you to taking the next step? Yeah, so th those entries were just under my name. Um, we were kind of doing everything in my garage. There was a group of us that were kind of working together, but it was still, you know, I was buying all the ingredients and designing the recipes. I mean, there was a lot of group kind of help. It wasn't just, just me, but that was kind of, I was spearheading a lot of it. So when we entered those, it was, wasn't under a homebrew group or anything like that. Uh, we kind of call, called ourselves the Really Brewing Company for a while. That was a LLC I had registered a long time ago and um, realized that that would kind of narrow focus us too much to, to just really, even though that's where we're, you know, that's our home and that's kind of where we've, we're planning to stay. But um, yeah, after, you know, I think that competition was really just eye-opening to say that maybe people do enjoy the beers we're making and maybe there's something to this. So that's kind of what prompted Colin to, to kind of out of that group to say, hey, I think, I think we've got something here. Let's see what, what happens. And 11 months later, Worldworks is opening. So Awesome. And what, uh, what were the two beers that you guys won awards with at that? There were actually two different sour beers. Uh, one was a Flanders Red Base. Uh, I think it was with uh, either Pluot or Nectarines. Um, and the other was a another dark sour, but not quite Flanders, uh, with raspberry, I believe. So okay. two two wild mixed culture barrel aged beers. We also did pretty well with the barrel aged stout we had entered. Uh, we didn't win the medal at that competition, but we ended up winning, making it to the uh, regionals for the NHC with that beer, and then also took a pro am with the uh, barrel aged stout, which at the time was called Alexander the Blessed, which we did publish <laughs> that with Craft Beer and Brewing, but. Um, a local brewery, uh, High Hops in Windsor, Colorado, brewed that as a pro-am. And so that was kind of fun to have that beer with, with those guys separate from the, the big beers medals we won. So, Great. Yeah, and I guess uh, just kind of going to the next question here. So if, if you've, <laughs> as our listeners know, um, we've had plenty of the Media Noche series on, on, on here as well as uh, we've talked about it. Um, personally, probably considered a little bit of a homer of, of, uh, of the, the beer itself and even just the base non-adjunct. Um, I've just uh, found it to be um, one of the, the top tier. I mean, it's, it's, in, the, it's in that number one tier to me for, uh, for, for barrel aged stout. So um, I guess one question I, I was wondering was, it seemed like um, the media Noche name was uh, at least for maybe one piece, but uh, before 2017, but then you guys came to 2017 with uh, it just seemed like it ex just exploded. The, the name just became really popular on trade forums and different, you know, social media forums and things about people wanting to try it and seek it out. And I was just curious, did something change before or did you guys find certain barrels that um, you thought would really, you know, impart the, some great flavors into it or just tweak the recipe? And what have you kind of stuck with? Because it seems like you went uh, 2017 was 17 months age, then 18 and 19. 
2019, which is a cool pattern, and it seems like it just gets a little bit better every year. But it's it's just, it's, uh, it's one of our favorites. Thanks. I'm I'm glad you guys enjoy it. It's it's definitely one of like the beers I'm or you know series that I'm most proud of. We have put a lot of time across a lot of different people. Um, hey, Mark. <laughs> Mark is connecting. There he is. All right. Finally. We've got, um, yeah, we've got a few, I think honestly what's, what helps, you know, we started brewing that beer when we opened the brewery. So it was within a month of opening the tap room, we were brewing uh, the beer for it, filling barrels. And obviously it was another year before we'd have it ready. But that very first time we tapped it was at our one year anniversary. So it was just shy of, of 12 months. Okay. And we kind of just kept, kept filling barrels, kept checking in on them a little bit longer every every batch we just kind of do a single barrel project for a while in 20 i think it was 2016 we did a few maybe three or four single barrel projects that were all 13 14 15 16 months kind of one one at a time just to see how they were changing and we kind of got to this 16 17 month mark and realized that was our favorite it was kind of and we obviously hadn't gone any further so it just kind of became this um I, it almost became the which one came first the age or the recipe tweaks we kind of did both so okay. as we extended the age, we started adjusting the recipe, knowing we liked that longer age and started making some improvements to the, just to consider how much age played a role in that beer and knowing if, you know, a, a beer that we planned for 12 months is needs to be designed differently than a beer we planned for 18 to 20 months. So we started making those changes and just kept pushing age. I think that was kind of where we could express. And I think that's where Midi Noche kind of stands in its, in this really crowded category of barrel aged stouts is, we're a hundred percent focused on that barrel expression. Um, and so that's just trying to push that as far as we can um, and just getting as much barrel character out of each batch as possible. Yeah. And I know that um, from talking to you at the craft beer and brewing conferences, you're a big bourbon fan. And I've heard, uh, I think a podcast with you and Corey King, you guys were talking barrels like nuts. Um, and it was really interesting. You guys are obsessive about the barrel choices and the picks and you can adjust recipes per the barrel characteristics is that right yeah we've been doing that a lot lately too where we start to complement the base malts a little bit you know it's 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 the same base recipe for most of our barrels but we are using more wheat in a wheated bourbon barrel we're using some you know more corn focused than just the straight bourbon that have those really nice kind of corn sweetness expressions so we're using a lot of flaked corn and some upcoming recipes um and then even oats and things we're kind of changing around depending on what we get our, our hands on rye chocolate rye we've got some a really cool chocolate rye batch that we did that was um catered to the woodford masters collection that was the the chocolate rye whiskey day or oh yeah the, which was a really great kind of unique uh, bourbon for whiskey and we just happened to get those barrels from our broker it was awesome we found out the timing that that had been released or was coming out and we went ahead and got those barrels and so we adjusted the recipe with a lot of chocolate rye a lot of uh caramel rye and some kind of flaked rye too so, but yeah, I think, I think getting to know the, the bourbon or the whiskey that the barrels come from, you know, that we're sourcing those barrels from has helped us a lot just to understand what kind of flavors will impart. Um, I know Corey and I, you know, we're not alone in that, that you know, I think yeah. it, as you get more into kind of barrel aged beers, you start to wonder more about the barrels that are, or the bourbon that's behind those barrels. And so we, we both, I think, are getting a little bit more, I think, intentional about the way we understand which barrels express which flavors. Um, lately, we've been doing our like our old Fitz Medianoche, uh, the 1910 Medianoche. Um, we've got some other some Willet barrels coming up too. So we try to do these kind of single expressions of either the double barrel 1910 was really fun. It was kind of 
a recreation of that brand, which is a double barrel, double barrel bourbon. Um, and then same with the old fits, these really awesome casks that are really hard to find and not, they don't come around very often. So just trying to right. create a, a recipe and also create the intentionality of how we age it with the, knowing how those barrels are expressing. So, um, it helps that I think a few of us in the brewery are, are pretty getting into bourbon a lot more and um, not that we're tired of beer, but we like to try other stuff too. So yeah. uh, we have a couple of guys that are pretty big, big into bourbon, not even rare bourbon, just, just enjoy drinking it. I love finding good stuff on the shelf. I've given up on chasing rare bourbon. So yeah, nineteen ten is kind of fit that niche for me where you can find it a lot of places. And I, I love that bourbon. So I actually fun. had some of that last night. It just, it hit the spot. It was like, yeah, have to go into that rare collection and it really was enjoyable yeah yeah and mark is our we always call him the the provision side of the pints and provisions i don't know where he went he'll be he'll be back but uh, he definitely is a is a big bourbon guy loves, loves to smoke meat so all of those flavors that he likes to play around with and compliment uh, we kind of go to him for that um you you can't sit here and not talk about how you know like the current pandemic has affected all of us and I know it's affected uh, you as a brewery owner and uh, 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 head brewer, Ryan with what he does, uh, me with what I do. Um, but you guys have kind of shifted the way you see a lot of people doing. You're going to more pick up, you're opening up releases to like proxies and things, uh, but you're also making hand sanitizer. I saw you guys uh, did a little bit of that. So obviously this could be partly permanent, but some of it could maybe even be, you know, temporary. What do you, what do you see the future business model of like brewers specifically going forward? It's so hard to tell. It seems like it's changing by the week now and, you know, projections and forecasts are so hard to dial in. And I think, I think it's starting to become more real for everyone else. We kind of, I don't know, we, we've been having a lot of discussions at our leadership level and just trying to figure out what's next. And I, I think the more we abandon what, was happening before what the strategy was i think this kind of idea that we're going to return to normal is kind of gone i think yeah there's going to be a new normal it doesn't mean things aren't going to come back it doesn't mean that we're not going to figure out how to, to to get back to what is important but whatever was happening before all this isn't going to come back in the same kind of manner or volume or all of that so it's almost going to require everyone to go back to the drawing board and, and recreate new strategies on what's your production look like what does your release structure look like what is your you know, what's your packaging strategy? What, are, what even beers are you making that are, you know, all of that needs to be realigned for what's happening now and not just this current kind of scenario, but what six months look like. And I think none of us have the crystal ball to know, like, when will people go back to tap rooms? When will beer festivals become normal? And when will, when will all of us be comfortable to do all those things? But I think we can all be, you know, now we've all followed this long enough and closely enough that it's, it's not going to be normal in the sense that it was exactly like it was in February uh, for a very long time. It's just, it's going to take all of us to adapt and, and kind of, and be proactive. Honestly, that's, I think where we found success in all this is that, you know, we've, we've made, we, we haven't had to lay anybody off or furlough anybody as a result of this. Uh, we have, you know, we've made some personnel changes and shifts, just normal, right fit, right position, right place, but nothing that's at all related to this. Um, which we consider that, you know, we don't take that for granted. We, we consider ourselves really fortunate, but it's not just because of, you know, happenstance. We've, we've been proactive about making those real-time adjustments and, and making those decisions on the fly um, to where we can absorb a lot of the changes and, and loss of revenue in certain streams that 
you know, whether it was draft or on-prem sales at the tap room, we pivoted pretty quickly and, and were able to navigate that to at least soften the blow as much as possible. And sanitizer was a part of that, just keeping people employed, um, just all those things. And, and we have a really talented team. Jake, our, mar- our director of marketing, has been putting together a ton of the engagement on the content side. We've actually got a homebrew series that Wade, um, one of our brewers, is putting on. Um, he's a really avid homebrewer, and he's actually home right now working remotely because uh, he's due in like two weeks. Uh, his wife's due. And so, you know, just kind of preemptively, he's kind of staying home, which is great that we can make sure he's got enough other kind of work to do remotely for management and things that we have like that. But another part of that was launching a homebrew series that, you know, he could help kind of navigate, I think a two or three part series on just some homebrewing tips and stuff that, you know, which is a cool perspective awesome. that even I don't have anymore. I, you know, I, the last time I homebrew was 2014. So <laughs> things have changed a lot and I, I, I wouldn't even know how to, to brew our, a juicy bits clone at home right now. Um, which is kind of fun. <laughs> oh, we awesome. no, we 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 saw you stumble at the craft beer and brewing conference with. Some I love it. <laughs> it was it was so fun. I was like, man, I felt so rusty, and even all the equipment and everything, like everything has gotten so much more. It's totally different on the homebrew side. I sound like such an old person. I'm like, I just turned 35 two weeks ago. I'm like, oh, back in my day for homebrewing, but which is so disingenuous. But it's just cool that we can create that kind of content and just find new ways to engage customers remotely. Um, Because I think that's what we're really missing is that engagement. Our tap room has always been centered around that. Our festivals, all the events we do has been really driven by that, that engagement. We want to be able to talk to people. We want to be able to discuss, you know, recipes or homebrewing or flavors or all of these things. And now we just don't have that platform. So creating these new platforms online, I think is really cool. I think it's, I hope it's something that sticks because we have such a bigger audience than just who can make it to Greeley. um, And we Mm -hmm. love to engage everybody, but um that's i think that's where our wrestling right now just what's next um it's probably different today than it was yesterday i think that trajectory just continues to change it's hard i think that's the hardest part for all of us is just that and it's not just the beer industry it's every industry it's everyone at home and i think i think you know we're just trying to try something new see if it works and if it doesn't move on to the next thing so no i I mean, it's funny how that mirrors so closely to even what I do as a medical professional, like those same exact concepts, like getting stuff out there uh, in, in, in more accessible media formats and the way you engage your patients is very similar to the, a lot of the things that you guys are doing. Well, Mark, how, how's your audio? It's, it's a little jumbled. I'm having issues. Hey, there you go. We Sorry, got him though. Hey, Mark. You know, nice to meet you. All right, late to the party. I'm not sure exactly what I missed or didn't miss, but uh, one of the questions that I had uh, was the uh, invitational. Um, is the process, obviously, with all this stuff going on, you guys had to make some decisions, but what's that look like for you guys? Our, yeah, our decision, you know, we, we I actually I left Pastry Town uh, early March, and New York, obviously, was a very different kind of, very different response and atmosphere than even Colorado. So leaving pastry town, you know, Sam and the crew at other half did an amazing job. Um, I I think it was, you know, still probably the famous event that's happened in 2020 amidst all this. And then obviously since then everything's changed, but we left that with a little different perspective, just seeing how things were evolving and how quickly. And so we came back, um, started talking about anniversary first and then the invitational shortly after that and just how, because our anniversary should have been March 23rd, I think was the original date for that. 
and we obviously couldn't couldn't pull that off with just everything that had changed and Invitational was, you know, still a ways off, but we knew that the situation wasn't going to improve that quickly. So we talked to the venue. And that was really the first step was finding out if, if they had other dates in the fall available. And that's, that's where we decided, okay, we they have a date. There was only one that worked for us and it didn't overlap with other events. So, you know, we, we kind of wanted to go the optimistic approach and just say, Hey, if we could pull this off, the only time it would happen would be in the fall. Um, that's still up in the air, obviously. We're hoping that, you know, things are, are looking better. Obviously, it's really hard to, to say for sure. I know beer fests in, in particular are going to be a really hard – they're going to be hard to navigate in general at any point in the next, you know, six to 12 months. So yeah. I won't, I won't yeah. say definitively I feel confident that we can do it with all the criteria and everything that it needs to happen. But at least that gives us something to look for, you know, to hope for if, if things do improve, if – everything that needs to happen can happen and if it doesn't then we know that you know we'll have future years to to celebrate and um i think that just gave us the opportunity to at least put something on the on the calendar that might happen um but i i know that you know we've we've issued a lot of refunds just knowing that a lot of folks won't be able to make it for either financial reasons or other reasons and for us as a as a non-profit event it's it's not that hard to to absorb any of those because all that money was just for our foundation so it's not a bottom line, which is good for us. That's, I think, the one kind of healthy part of that event is that it's all for charity. So as much as we'd love to support our community other ways, it's really not going to affect the, our ability to keep our, our staff employed or anything like that. So yeah. we, were, we were pretty fortunate compared to a lot of organizers and event planners. Yeah. The good thing is that it seems like between, you know, all different types of businesses and organizations and whatnot, everyone's trying to figure out ways to make all this work so quickly. And it just seems like, um, you know, just overnight it went to, uh, you know, the six feet social distancing was a common thing. And then wearing masks has become a common thing and just so quickly. And so it's just like to think six months from now, I mean, there could be sporting events and golf tournaments and different things where a beer festival and, and movie theaters and different other events were bringing people together. It just, uh, six months seems like it's a, a, a close time uh, from us, but at the same time, there could be a lot of, of really good improvements to figure out how we can make this work. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic too. I think a lot can happen in that period of time and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll figure that out and, and we'll be out and flying to Colorado here in, uh, in due time. Yep. Yeah. We were like this close to getting our plane tickets, Ryan, and then <laughs> yeah. uncertainty slapped us in the face and we were like, well, let's just sit back and see what happens. And you guys did you'd come out pretty early, which is always helpful. Um, but I mean, I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of new normals, um, some of which will be great, some of which probably won't be. Um, but it's just so interesting how it affects us all in different ways. But in the end, we're all looking at the same ways to come back and service the things that we need to do. Yeah. Um, well, so Mark, I kind of introduced you when you skipped out as the provision side of uh, the things and we, we were getting into barrels and such and um, for how meticulous I think Weldworks is at picking barrels and such. Uh, Mark is a bourbon connoisseur. I know Ryan, you are too. Uh, but Mark Mark's the bourbon man. Mark is the bourbon oh, man. I don't, I don't know about that, but <laughs> that's for sure. Um, anything specific on, you know, bourbon and barrels that you'd love to ask him about that we didn't cover? I don't know what he covered. I missed everything, guys. <laughs> we were talking a little bit about 
specific casts. So we've done a little bit more focus on like our 1910 uh, Medianoche we did, uh, Old Fitz Medianoche. But um, yeah, I think we talked a little bit about just intentionality with not just the, the recipe itself, but on procuring the right barrels for the right, right beer and that kind of, that kind of approach. So. Right. Is there ever, uh, do you guys look at the age of the barrels? Is there something that it's too fresh or too old? You guys looking for that sweet spot? Yeah. You know, I think we, we've, we initially really liked older barrels stuff in the seven to, to 12 range, which is getting harder, especially depending on the blender or the distillery to, to source. Mm -hmm. Um, but we actually found that four to five years are great too and have a whole lot more oak character than just the bourbon expression. So you get a lot of that kind of vanilla in and some, you know, some of those kind of oak compounds that just haven't been extracted yeah. in four years from the bourbon. So I think what we learned is that we really like a diverse, a really diverse selection of barrels in our, in our warehouse and inventory. That way we can create really unique blends. We have a lot to pull from, whether it's an older barrel or a beer that's you know been in there longer we have some 20 to 30 month barrels even that sometimes we, we let those go just longer so we have some stock to blend in a little bit more complexity for some maybe younger blends or batches so I, I, if i had to pick one barrel to use exclusively for like the rest of eternity it would probably be something in the seven year range okay uh, and, and probably the, the weller antique barrels we've been getting quite a few of those in the last few months um, those just have a really nice kind of that that wheat sweetness that kind of comes through a bit but they just have that really nice sweet spot for age too where it's not over extracted it's not the barrels are still plenty wet and they still have plenty of kind of raw oak character that we can pull out but you know obviously as a, as a really great bourbon too it's such a great beer. bourbon yeah, yeah. I, antique would probably be my like if i could find it more regularly i'd probably drink that as my house bourbon all the time i yeah i, kinda, I hoard a few bottles that i I still, I mean, it's, it's easier to find than everything else, but still not as readily available as I would love, but um, yeah. it's just such a good balanced bourbon. That's easy sipping, a little higher proof, but I mean, even cask strength bourbon is fun to drink, but I, I can't drink 120, 130 proof <laughs> bourbon every night. It's, yeah. Yeah. So even 107 is pushing it. I do like some of the 90, 100 range just for something that you don't have to, to think much about. Just pour it and enjoy it. Right. So it sounds like, I mean, most of this comes down to the blending though. I mean, the barrels are obviously important, but you're, you're blending uh, at the time and, and that's really where you guys create the magic. Yeah. And, and just being intentional about knowing if we, if we want something really complex with adjuncts, we have a lot of inventory pull from, but if we really want to just focus on that specific cast, just trying to fill enough barrels every time we fill them to have, you know, eight to, to 16 of a single type. That way, if we're using one here and there for like Premier is a great example, our both of our Premier blends are, are drastically different, but they both have some really, really unique complexities on, you know, we have some rum and, and brandy and apple brandy in the first batch, and then some apple brandy uh, and some double, some double barrels and some other um, unique casks in the old fits in particular in that um, second blend and just trying to, to find a, a sweet spot where we can we can pull in a lot of different characters, um, characteristics, and not just this one expression that we usually get from a single batch. So, so when you when you go back to starting Weldworks up, um, was there a vision of types of beers? Um, like, I mean, you you know, you won the the awards with sours. Was there a vision of having a broad range? Uh, and you said you you started filling barrels pretty early on, so. Can you just kind of walk us through what you're thinking just from a vision standpoint? Uh, I'm, 
I'm sure even with optimism, um, the, the business is probably much, uh, much better than what you ever could have imagined with how the success has been. But uh, still, if you could just maybe just take us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of started with that prototypical flagship model where you need to have a, a wheat, a red, a stout, and something in the middle. Um, so we, we opened that with that exact lineup, or IPA, was, it was, and then the red was kind of in our middle ground. So we opened with a red, a West Coast IPA, our, our wheat was our Hefeweizen, and a coffee stout. That was kind of our core beers. We were going to make those and distribute them and package them. <laughs> and those, we just brought them back about uh, about a month and a half ago for our, or two months ago for our original anniversary, just kind of as a, a throwback. They were draft only, which is a lot of fun. Um, and it was kind of a good reminder of just how much things have changed since uh, oh, yeah. we opened. But it didn't take us long, about a year in, we realized that that wasn't really who we were. We just kind of fell into that pressure of you need to have something, you know, flagships just, they work for some reason for others like us. It just wasn't necessarily like juicy bits is obviously our, our flagship now, but that beyond that, we don't have a lot of year round beers that we produce. Our Hefeweizen even is mostly draft. The, the packaging we do is just for the tap room. So um, there's a, a few beers we rotate in with frequency, but nothing that's set in stone. We make this all the time. Um, Fitbits was kind of is, is moving in that direction but even that it's just trying to find the right market and the right platform the right distribution for that and if it doesn't do well enough we'll pull that and just go back to seasonal for for that skew so I think what we learned is that in Colorado there's so many great breweries and um, a lot of them that innovate but not as many that innovate on a regular basis that you know kind of have this rotational model and so we started moving to that in the tap room and it was doing really well and so we kind of you know, one to two years in, we kind of killed off a lot of the, the plans that we had to be this big distribution brewery with, you know, the same five to six beers always available or rotating with frequency. And we just started doing what we were doing in the tap room, which is these one-offs. And that's where we did the 100 new beers two years ago um, in 2018 and yeah, just kind of cool. pushed ourselves to, to innovate and create. And that was kind of what we've become known for. And, and we're kind of still doing that, but we're also doing it with this idea of of dialing in and really fine tuning everything and just saying we can, we can innovate and make all these new recipes, but let's also make the existing recipes better and let's keep making every product better than the, the, the previous iteration. So yeah. um, that's where we settled into this balance of, you know, juicy bits is still accounting for probably 30 to 40% of our, or, or bits variants or, you know, something in the bits lineup is maybe even closer to 45% of the, of the total production. Um, but everything else is kind of rotating pretty frequently. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think we've always just talked about how it's, it's just been fun seeing, just checking, uh, your webpage or checking on untapped, what you guys have, um, you know, the acromatic series just always seems to have, uh, some fun, you know, variants like cookies and cream and, and the Mexican and different things like that. And just the creativity you guys get there. And, and then the same thing with the, the juicy bits having all different styles and then going to the fruity bits and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. Thank you. Yeah. But, but you guys came out with a Czech style Pilsner. Yes. Yes. We saw that yeah. too. Yeah. We, uh, we're pretty, I mean, we're pretty spoiled in Colorado with Beerstadt. And so, I mean, Beerstadt yeah. is like the de facto king of, of lager, not just in Colorado. They're probably my favorite in the, in the country. And so, it's always hard to put out a lager because you're always like, well, it's not slow for, but honestly our check bills that uh, we just put out, our team killed it. It's awesome. It's really, really good. It's a fun name. We didn't want to obviously want to pay homage to 
to where it came from, but not rip off any branding. So it was kind of this like, uh, you know, fun one off. We do actually try to keep a logger on at all times. Um, mm-hmm. I wish we could keep more on, but um, you know, when we look at the sales at the end of, of a, uh, a batch, it's always at least a third to maybe more like half of the volume is, so, is sold to our employees at their employee oh. discount is pretty significant. It's half off or more. Um, <laughs> so it's always, you can tell, you know, beers we make for us, beers we make for, for everyone, beers we make for specific, you know, this demographic, the lager is definitely mostly for us. I mean, we, we love when people enjoy it. Uh, but it's, it's also for us just something that's classic and easy drinking. And we can also prove our, our brewing chops a little bit because, yeah, you know, absolutely. Classic, classic lager is tough. So yep. um, oh, for sure. I can't wait to see what people think of it tomorrow when it finally drops. And Evan, you even said that was a common theme at the, the Brewers Conference was a lot of the, uh, a lot of the guys there were not drinking lagers, but a lot of them said that uh, they brew lagers for themselves to have something light to drink while they're, while they're working or after work and things like that. And it was just really common. I think at the time we were a little bit shocked, but as we've, you know, yeah. They're now doing a lot I, more lagers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was specifically really Phil down at Perennial that their Pilsner or their Hellas or whatever it was almost never even makes it to the consumer because it's what their staff drinks. Yeah. Yeah, we if if we could get more slow pour, we'd probably we'd still make lager because we, we love making it, but you know, slow pour now in 16 ounce cans has been a game changer. Hopefully oh, yeah. it restocks. <laughs> we, that was like a, our that was going to be our first place to stop before we went to Greeley when we were coming out was we're going to Beerstadt and then we'll go to Greeley. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, Ashley and Bill are just, uh, they're making such great lager, but putting it in, in four packs is, yeah, we, we're yeah. all kind of salivating it when the next little <laughs> porter drop and even Hellas. I mean, their Hellas is amazing. So yeah. I think we'll, I think we'll see a pretty steady supply at Wellbrooks. I, I think we'll probably go through more than most of the liquor stores in, in Greeley would. So we're just going to ask them to divert all those, any of those uh, inventories just to Wellbrooks and we'll take care of it. So, All right, Mark, you got one last question. So I apologize if you guys already covered this, but um, uh, so Greeley, uh, is, is that where you guys are from or how did you guys decide on Greeley? I know uh, you're going to, there's talk of uh, Colorado Springs as well, correct? Yeah. So, uh, that's I've lived in Colorado now almost 12 years, 11 and a half years. And, uh, I've only lived in Greeley. So I moved straight from North Carolina, grew up in North Carolina, moved to Greeley. Colin's been here longer than that. I think he's going on 20 some years, 25 years, maybe. Um, he's from, he's from Wichita, Kansas. So, uh, I I know he's kind of moved around Colorado a bit, but he's been in in Greeley for well over 20 years, I, I think. So it's both like, it's kind of where both of us have just made, made our, set our roots and kind of this is this is home for us so when we were opening it wasn't really a question of where we would open it was just like well we'll open here because that's where we live and right we didn't even really consider anywhere else so um that's kind of a fun it's it's cool that we've grown here and that people make the trek which is awesome i know we're not like as as convenient as even boulder denver fort collins that's kind of where a lot of you know we have a lot of reasons to go there Greeley's definitely got a lot more reasons now. There's a lot of cool things happening, but um, it's just been fun to see the growth here. Um, but yeah, before we opened, uh, there was really no other destination. So I will say this, uh, maybe not as uh, easily accessible as some of the other locations, but uh, 
Greeley is probably one of the best laid out cities that I've ever been to. You know exactly where you are at any time if you can follow numbers and, and a grid pattern. So it's it's easy to get around. You know how far you are from everything. So exactly. Yeah, but yeah, it's fun. It's it's really fun doing the invitational, especially we get a lot of people that visit Greeley for, for the first time, and it's a good time to come. We just you know it's a fun time. So um, we're excited to see just how much Greeley's evolving. I know. In the in the midst of all this too, it's it's so hard to see all our our fellow small businesses hurting. But yeah, uh, fortunately, Greeley I think is gonna is gonna do. I think they're gonna survive a lot better than some areas just because we're, we're a fairly diverse uh, as far as just our. You know, we've got agriculture is obviously big, and some other in oil and gas too, which is is obviously a big is hit, is hitting hard now too. But we have a lot of emerging kind of art artistic. Um, we have a lot of artists. We have a creative art uh, arts district. We have some really cool businesses downtown. So it's yeah. cool to see just how people have rallied and, and adjusted and pivoted. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see us get back to, yeah. to visit our, our businesses. So, Yep. I think we'll all be uh, pining for the day that we get to sit in a tap room, no matter where it is, that'll be the first place all of us go. Yeah. Um, well, the last thing we want to go over, and I'm sure that uh, I'm, you'll give us a nice good rounded four pack of the kind of uh, desert Island beers that you'd, want to be stuck with all your life and you don't have to pick particular you know beers within a style but go ahead and uh give us those four beers that you couldn't live without i already mentioned it but slow pour would be my my go-to lager um it's yeah it, it's impossible to find a better pilsner or a traditional german lager in colorado if not maybe the entire country so now that it's in four in sixteen ounce four packs, I could add it to a mixed four pack, which would be awesome. <laughs> All four. Uh, yeah, uh, Odell IPA is probably the uh, the IPA that was the most influential on me personally, just in um, in developing our own IPA and understanding hops. And I think it was really the IPA that put Colorado on the map um, on just expression, complexity, kind of moving more towards that contemporary varietal. Um, they've done a great job. Doug and and Win are are my heroes in the industry. So um, it's really, really awesome to see just they continue to adapt and, um, and getting Odell IPA out to different people, but also in, in the New England kind of hazy IPA, they've done some really great stuff too. So um, that would be my, my IPA probably. Uh, stout's tough. Uh, there's a lot of good stouts, but I, it's not a, not a can or not an easily, easily accessible beer, but uh, Corey's uh, BBT series has just been, it's really, really hard to beat. I think every time I have it, I think I've had, I don't know if I've had the first batch. I know I've had the second and third, um, either at festivals or just uh, when we've hung out. And I, you know, I, we've we've kind of been inspired a lot by his approach to blending on just the, even Premier was really, I think, are, are uh, a little bit inspired by the way he approaches blending stouts. And uh, I'm, I think BBT is, is really hard to beat as far as just single, no, or just, non-adjunct uh, barrel-aged stout. It's, uh, it, there's a reason it's so highly sought after and so highly reviewed and regarded. So um, that, one's, that one's a tough one to beat. And then my last one's probably Casey Eastbank um, for kind of that wild mixed culture, but super drinkable, super complex. Um, I think I've told Troy a lot, but I think he, if he could just make Eastbank and make it available year-round to Greeley, that's all I really want in life is just be able to drink, <laughs> drink Eastbank. <laughs> All the time. Um, it's just for the, yeah, just just for me. I mean, I don't even know if it makes it outside <laughs> of that. But, uh, it's. I think I love everything he does. He's he's a master at at blending, at mixed culture, at fruit. I mean, he's. 
I don't know anybody that's that's got a handle on all three of those better than him. But I love East Bank. I love the the honey is just kind of a nice nuance. It's still pretty. It's it's drinkable and balanced, but um, it's such a great beer. So those would be my four. That's an impressive four. Yeah, I wish they were all like year round on the shelf. Grab <laughs> <laughs> the store and pick them up. But yeah, those are pretty pretty solid beers. Uh, I can't thank you enough for spending an hour of your day with us. It's fun to get together with groups of friends like this now, uh, even though it may not be our usual normal, but it is a little bit of a more new normal. So uh, thanks, Neil, for joining us. I'm sure everyone will love to listen to what you have to say. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys still putting out great content. I'll, uh, you guys said the live book one is just uh, posted today or? Uh, we we got that out a week ago. In the meantime, we did. Uh, you know, we're we're getting together with anyone and ever, any 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 of our friends that we otherwise couldn't have maybe in a tap room. Uh, actually, it's provided a lot more content for us. That's awesome. I look forward to all those. I really appreciate you guys having me, and uh, hopefully, we can all get together for a beer soon. Yep. Well, cheers to hopefully October. Okay. I was gonna say, we'll, it's on our calendars. We're planning on seeing October. Cheers. Here, right. put, put up that Topo Chico. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not gone yet. Ah, that's good. All right. Cheers, Neil. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Neil.